0: We're gonna be looking at Revelation chapter 13. Before we begin, why don't we take a minute and uh, pray and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, we do celebrate the fact that you've revealed yourself and your plans in your word. And, and we just are grateful to you for that. And yet we acknowledge as we read, especially the book of Revelation, that it's hard to understand. And we ask you for insight and wisdom. And especially as we draw closer to that day, Lord, we just pray that we would have a real conviction about about how to live and, and exactly how these things are going to unfold. We just need your grace and your understanding. And we ask you to give us that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we talked about the fact that in Revelation chapter 12, we read that the devil went after Israel, that he's been trying to destroy Israel throughout history and how, again, he tried to kill Christ uh, and actually succeeded, although he tried to do it at Jesus' birth. Uh, He didn't succeed until Jesus was an adult and how Jesus went up to heaven. But Satan has always been after the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, and so the question should be raised, why? Why is it that throughout the pages of the Bible, we read that the devil has been after Israel and has used various world nations of the past to try to wipe them off the globe completely? And I think there are a few reasons why Satan has gone after the Jewish people. Number one is I think Satan has always gone after God's people those who are his chosen ones. And so I think whether it's Christians or or believers of past generations, I think the devil has always gone after us. But when it comes to Israel, Israel has always been a part of God's eternal plan. And so if Satan had succeeded in getting rid of Israel, a lot of the prophecies that we read about in the Bible would not be able to be fulfilled. For example, if Satan has succeeded in destroying Israel through the Babylonians or the Persians or some of these other groups, then the Messiah, Jesus, could never be born. And if if Satan has succeeded in killing Jesus as an infant, he could never have become the savior of the world. And so you might wonder, well, why does Satan continue to go after the Jewish nation? I mean, when you think of, of Germany, how they tried to exterminate all the Jewish people, And obviously the devil is behind that, but why is he trying to do that? Well, because there are more prophecies that need to be fulfilled that are involving Israel. And if Israel can be destroyed, then a lot of the things that are still prophesied that need to take place will not be able to happen. For example, we know from the book of Revelation that 144,000 Jewish people are going to be preserved to be part of Christ's millennial kingdom. But what if the devil were successful in working through the Antichrist and they were able to kill all the Jewish people? Well, then this prophecy could never be fulfilled. And so Satan has always been against the nation of Israel. And these days I think the the whole world in a sense is against Israel. Um, They're alone over there, and you you might wonder again, why is he trying to destroy Israel now? Well, there, there are these other prophecies that need to be fulfilled in the future. One thing I know, even as Christians, we may not agree with everything that Israel does, but what we know for sure is that Israel wins in the end. And I'm convinced that the prophecy or what what God told Abraham in the Old Testament is still true, that those who bless Israel will be blessed and those who curse Israel will be cursed. They figure prominently in God's eternal story and therefore they've always had a bullseye on their back by the devil. Now chapter 12 focused on how the devil works through this 12 or 10 nation confederacy to accomplish his purposes in the end time. I also mentioned that that chapter 12 talked about how Satan worked through kingdoms of the past to destroy Israel. When you get to chapter 13, we find a description that looks very, very similar to chapter 12. Only chapter 13 is describing an individual that we call the Antichrist. And so just like in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, in uh, Revelation chapter 12, the devil worked through nations to accomplish his purposes and so he's depicted in that early on in chapter 12 as being a beast that has seven heads and 10 horns. When you get to chapter 13, we find another beast that is described in a similar way and it's because the Antichrist is gonna work through the same governmental system. And so the beast of 13 is very similar to 12, and yet they're different. Now let's begin reading in Revelation 13, beginning in verse one, where we read, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had 10 horns and seven heads. On his horns were 10 diadems, or crowns, and on his heads were blasphemous names, The beast I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear's and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. Now let's stop for a moment and talk about this. The beast in this particular vision is seen as coming out of the sea. And in biblical symbolism, the idea of sea almost always represents the Gentile nations And so the implication here is that this Antichrist, this final world leader, is likely not going to be from a Jewish background, but rather from a Gentile background. In Revelation 17 and 15, we see this description of what the waters represent. We read, he also said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute was seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, and Languages. And so this world leader is going to come out of the Gentile peoples of the world. And once again, just like the devil who rules through the nations of the past and the 10 nation confederacy in the future, this antichrist, this beast is also going to work through the government to accomplish his purposes. Now, last week I mentioned that this beast had. Uh, the seven heads and the 10 horns, and that these represented kings or rulers. In chapter 13, the same thing is true. These are the same kings or rulers. In Revelation chapter 17 and verse nine, we have this explanation. Here's the mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings. I mentioned last week that the seven mountains or hills were a way of describing Rome in biblical times. And so I think this is a revived Roman empire. And so in Revelation 17, we discover that the heads represent these seven hills, but they also represent seven leaders. And I suggested last week that these seven leaders are ones who have come and gone. But then you get to the horns, and the horns again represent leaders of the future kingdom, the future Roman Empire. And so in Revelation 17 and verse 12, we read, The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they will receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. And so again, what we're describing here is a beast that is a reflection of all the past kingdoms, but also the future kingdom. And both Satan and the Antichrist are working through this particular group. Now, let's read verses 1 and 2 again from Revelation 13. And I want to talk a little bit more about it. He writes, and I see a beast coming out of the sea or among the Gentile nations again. That's what I believe that means. He had 10 horns and 7 heads. On his horns were 10 diadems. And on his heads were blasphemous names. Understand that this is going to be a kingdom that's going to be against God, against Christ. They're going to hate the Jewish nation. They're going to hate Christians. Verse two, the beast I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like a bear's and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave him his power, his throne and great authority. You realize here what's happening is that the devil is possessing this individual, giving him fully his power, his throne, and a tremendous amount of great authority. But also notice that the way in which these heads are described or this beast is described is like some of the animals that we read about in the Old Testament. And so once again, this ties in with what Daniel wrote about. In the Old Testament book of Daniel, we discover that the leopard represents Greece, The bear represents the Medes and the Persians, and the lion represented Babylon. And therefore, this antichrist figure is someone who is somehow connected with all of those groups, plus he leads this last group. He's like a leopard, he's gonna be fast. His feet are gonna be like a bear's, which I think is a reference to the destruction that he's gonna cause, and then his mouth is described as being like a lion, which I think is a reference to his godless and blasphemous things that he's gonna be talking about. Now, all of this came out of this imagery, again, came out of the Old Testament with Daniel. And I want us to look there for just a little bit in Daniel chapter two. We read in the Old Testament book of Daniel that the the King Nebuchadnezzar, who I believe was the first world leader, the King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream And in his dream, he saw a statue. And the head of this statue was solid gold. And in his dream, the shoulders and the arms of this statue were made of silver. And the belly and the thighs of this statue were made of bronze. The two legs were iron. And then the toes of this this statue, he saw, were made of iron and clay. This was a description in the Old Testament that Daniel saw or explain to King Nebuchadnezzar about a dream that he had. Well, in Daniel 2, beginning in verse 37, Daniel interprets the dream, and again, it relates to the final kingdom that's coming. Let's begin in verse 37 of Daniel chapter two, where Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, your majesty, you are the king of kings. The glory, or I'm sorry, the God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. Wherever people live or wild animals or birds of the air, he has handed them over to you and made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. In other words, this was the Babylonians. He says, yours is this mighty kingdom. Verse 39, after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to yours, and these were the Persians, and then another, a third kingdom, and this was the Greek empire of Alexander the Great, which was made of bronze, which will rule the whole earth. A fourth kingdom will be as strong as iron, as iron crushes and shatters everything, and like iron that smashes, it will crush crush and smash all the others. This is the Roman Empire, Verse 41, you saw the feet and toes partly of potters fired clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, though some of the strength of iron will be in it. You saw the iron mixed with clay and that the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly fired clay. Part of the kingdom will be strong and part will be brittle. You saw the iron mixed with clay The peoples will mix with one another but will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with fired clay. And so you realize here that that God revealed to Nebuchadnezzar the world empires that were going to come, starting with him, then moving to these other empires. But then we skip ahead a couple thousand years, and he is also given a vision of this last kingdom this depicted as having iron and clay mixed together in 10 toes. And of course, this again is a description of the 10 leaders or the 10 countries that are gonna make up this final kingdom. Also, the fact that it's made of iron and clay suggests that iron was representative of Rome. And so once again, we draw this conclusion that this is somehow a revised Roman empire. All of these kingdoms, though, I think have brought everything to a culmination with Satan now ruling through this final kingdom, and he's going to work through this beast, this Antichrist figure. Now, the Apostle Paul describes him in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 4, we read about the Antichrist, this world leader He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's sanctuary publicizing that he himself is God. This is where I think the blasphemy comes in. We know in the middle of the seven-year tribulation period, the Antichrist is gonna proclaim himself to be God in Jerusalem and he's gonna demand worship. Skipping to verse 9 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders, and with every unrighteous deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved, When I read this, I I see kind of a warning that we really need to pay attention to because this indicates that the people of this that are alive during this last kingdom will believe lies because they did not love the truth. People that refuse to hold on to the truth are going to be swayed by lies. And when I look at our culture here today, I, I see that we have a culture where the truth doesn't mean much. These days, people talk about your truth or my truth as opposed to some objective truth. And because people are unwilling to hold on to the truth, then they're gonna be led astray by all kinds of lies. And I see that there's a certain protection we have when we say, no, I'm gonna hold on to the truth. Now, Daniel described the final world kingdom in Daniel 7 and 8 in this way. He said, while I was watching in the night visions, a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong with large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and it trampled with its feet wherever it went. It was different from all the beasts before it and it had 10 horns. While I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn, a little one, came up among them and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. There were eyes in this horn like a man's and it had a mouth that spoke arrogantly. Now we learn some things about this final kingdom. I mentioned earlier that the fact that it had iron teeth suggests that this is not a natural kingdom. And we know already from the verses I've read that Satan himself is gonna turn over his power, his authority, the ability to do miracles and everything to this antichrist figure. But we see here a scene where this beast has 10 horns and then while Daniel is watching, a little horn pops up and then defeats, it says, three of the other ones. And I think this is what's gonna happen in the last days. This final kingdom is gonna start with 10 nations, but a world ruler is gonna rise and I think this world ruler is the Antichrist and he is militarily gonna defeat three of the others. And in so doing, exalt himself, I think, to be the leader over all the others. Now, Daniel inquired about the meaning of this fourth beast. And I'd like to to read the description in Daniel 7, beginning in verse 23, where an angel explains to Daniel what this kingdom is all about. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, different from all the other kingdoms. Again, recognize that this kingdom is not gonna be like any other kingdom that's come before it because it's gonna be a demonic, devil-possessed leader and a whole kingdom that's run by the devil. It goes on to say it will devour the whole earth, trample it down, and crush it. He's gonna be very destructive. Verse 24, the 10 horns are 10 kings who will rise from this kingdom. Another... Different from the previous ones will rise after them and subdue three kings. He will speak words against the most high and oppress the holy ones of the most high. Of course, who's that? That's the nation of Israel. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws and the holy ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. Now, it's interesting to me that we're reading here from the Old Testament, and this is Daniel But again, the timetable is the same. It'll be a time, one year, times, which is two more years, and then half a time, which is half a year, so it's three and a half years. This is the great tribulation. Verse 26 of Daniel 7. But the court will convene and his dominion will be taken away to be completely destroyed forever. It's gonna happen or be destroyed when Jesus Christ comes to reign on this earth for his millennial kingdom. At this point, it's going to be game over for this 10-nation this confederacy that has been whittled down now to seven. So summarizing what we've said so far, we're reading about this leader that's going to rise up. He's going to be a culmination of the past kingdoms, but he'll be over these final 10 kingdoms, three of which he's going to defeat. This guy is gonna be a blasphemer, he's gonna be a godless man. It says he's gonna set aside, try to set aside religious rules and things because he's gonna recognize that those who follow God's word, the Bible, are holding on to those truths and he wants to get rid of all other religions and establish himself as the one who's over everything. He's gonna demand that people worship him and of course, you realize that what two groups are not going to worship him? Well, it'll be the Jewish people and Christians. We're not gonna we won't worship him. And so we just read about this Antichrist. but let's keep reading in verse 3 of Revelation 13 because we learned something else about him. We read, one of his heads appeared to be fatally wounded. So one of the heads of this beast appeared to be fatally wounded, but His fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast or the antichrist saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against him? A mouth was given to him to speak boasts and blasphemies He was also given authority to act for 42 months. Do you see how all this lines up? I mean, I'm going back and forth between Daniel and Matthew and Revelation and 2 Thessalonians. Verse six, he began to speak blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And he was permitted to wage war against the saints Something you need to understand is the word saints in the book of Revelation is never used to describe Jewish people but Christians. And so he's being permitted to wage war, it says, against saints, and it says to conquer them. He was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship him everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slaughtered. Literally, it says everybody is gonna worship this person except those who are Christians, those who are believers, those whose names have been in the book of life since before creation, ones who are chosen of God, his people. Now, in the verses I just read, beginning in verse three, we read about a wound that appears to have been fatal, There's some debate whether or not this wound was actually fatal or it just appeared to be fatal, but the Greek rendering of this favors the idea that it was actually fatal. And so you realize that this person, this, and I think it's the Antichrist, was killed, he died. But then he was brought back to life again and it's on the basis of that miracle that the whole world is gonna say we need to worship him now the one who has been brought back from the dead. We learn, by the way, from verse 14 of this chapter that the wound was actually caused by a sword of all things. Now, I'd like to make this point, this observation about Satan. Satan has always been the great counterfeiter He's always trying to counterfeit God, and this is exactly what we are reading about in Revelation 12 and Revelation 13. It's really a counterfeit Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What we're reading about in chapter 12 and chapter 13 is this unholy trinity involving Satan, the Antichrist, and then the third person we're gonna read about shortly is the false prophet, And so chapter 12 began with Satan working through this 10-nation confederacy, and he is one who wants to be worshipped like God. Then when you get to chapter 13, we read about the Antichrist, and notice that this Antichrist suffered a wound, he died, and then was brought back to life again. What does that remind us of? Well, he's certainly counter-Christ, Antichrist and he will demand worship as Christ did. And then the third person we're about to read about is the false prophet who's able to perform miracles and it's somebody that's imitating the Holy Spirit. And so it's an unholy trinity. Dr. Wolverd from Dallas Theological Seminary confirms this perspective. He writes, this imitates the divine trinity. Satan seeks to take the place of God the Father The first beast assumes the place of Jesus Christ, the son, the king of kings, and the second beast, the false prophet, has a role similar to the Holy Spirit who causes Christians to worship God. This is Satan's final attempt to substitute a false religion for the true faith in Christ. And so this is an unholy trinity, but once again, there are two groups that will not worship this this antichrist or the devil, one is, will be the Jewish nation. Their entire history was to worship the one true God. And then when you get to Christians, we will not bow down before a man. We will know that this is idolatry. We'll be unwilling to do it. The goal, of course, then of this antichrist is to get rid of all those who will oppose him. And this is what's gonna lead to this fierce persecution that will begin against the Jewish nation, but then will spread against Christians this will be a particularly hard time. Now in a minute, we're gonna see that when the devil doesn't succeed at wiping out Christians and Jews, he's gonna come up with another tactic to get control of the people through the economy. We'll talk about that in a minute. But realize that if, if to the degree that we're here, if Christians are here during this time, it is going to be the worst time since the beginning of humanity. In verse uh, nine of Revelation 13, we read, if anyone has an ear, he should listen. If anyone is destined for captivity, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. This demands the persecution, or perseverance, I'm sorry. This demands the perseverance and faith of the saints. There's that word again. Saints is applied toward Christians, what is this saying here? Well, this is just making the point that some have been destined to be taken into captivity. In other words, they'll be arrested for their faith. And others here are destined, it's said, to be killed by the sword. In other words, to be put to death. Regardless of which group you may be in when this happens, we're told here that we need to persevere, that we're gonna need perseverance and strong faith during this season. The encouraging thing is that Christians who remain steadfast and who are alive during this time are gonna be rewarded in some very special ways that we read about later in the book of Revelation here. Now, let's continue reading here in Revelation 13 where we come to a second beast, which is really the third beast. In other words, chapter 12 began with a beast, and that was Satan working through the governments. Then chapter 13 began with a second beast. It's the Antichrist working through the same governments. Now we come to another beast, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 13. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. I want you to stop for a moment. I mentioned before that this second beast came out of the sea. And that sea tends to represent the Gentile nations. And so some feel like this particular beast that's coming out of the earth represents that this person might have actually a Jewish background. We don't know for sure, but it could be. Goes on to describe him though, this beast. He had two horns like a lamb, but he sounded like a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast, the Antichrist, and on his behalf, and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. This is why earlier, by the way, I said that, they, I think this is the Antichrist who died and came back again, the Antichrist who had a fatal wound, and then it was healed. Verse 13, he also performed great signs, even, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people, He deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that he is permitted to perform on behalf of the beast, telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the sword wound and yet lived. The horns on this beast, it says it had two horns like a ram or a lamb, This should immediately call to our mind the religious sacrificial system. Again, I think this is someone that's representing the false prophet, or it's illustrating the Holy Spirit, an unholy spirit. He is going to be over the false religious system that's going to be used in conjunction with the economic system to get control over the whole world. Now, this particular false prophet is going to be able to perform some amazing miracles, even like Elijah, to be able to call down fire from heaven. And people are going to be deceived by his miracles. Now, I want to remind you of something we talked about in the first half of the book, that in Revelation chapter 11, we read about a couple prophets who are found in Jerusalem, apparently at the... the, Wall there in Jerusalem, and they're prophesying. And it says that they prophesy for how long? Three and a half years. These same two prophets are going to be prophesying during the same period of time for three and a half years, and they're able to perform miracles as well. And so, understand that this last kingdom there's going to be a lot of the miraculous happening. And the world is gonna be deceived by the miracles of the Antichrist and the false prophet. But we need to pay attention to these two prophets because I think that those two prophets that are of God, that are preaching in the last days, are preparing the world to hear the final gospel presentation so that they might put their trust in Christ. We need to be, though, warned to realize that just because miracles take place does not mean necessarily that it's of God because the devil is able to do this as well. Now, he's going to, this false prophet, have people craft an image, and so apparently people are gonna be crafting these idols or images of the beast or the antichrist that they're gonna worship within their own homes. Let's continue to see though what the Antichrist, I'm sorry, the false prophet does with a large idol that's created in the image of the Antichrist beginning in verse 15. He was permitted to give a spirit to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. This is describing that there's gonna be the beast, the Antichrist, but there's gonna be crafted an image of the Antichrist, but it's just gonna be an image, except that the false prophet is gonna give it the ability to speak and to cause whoever will not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Verse 16, and he requires everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. The one who has understanding must calculate the number of the beast because it's the number of man. His number is 666. Now, when I read about this beast and I read about the image that's made to be like this beast and to be worshiped, my mind immediately goes to the Old Testament and the story of Nebuchadnezzar who was demanding worship of a beast that he created. You remember that Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this statue that was made of different materials. Well, we find in Daniel chapter three that he actually made a large statue, a gold statue, or at least gold plated statue that he wanted people to worship. And this is again the story that comes to my mind when I'm reading about what happens in Revelation 13 about this image, where people are gonna have to worship this image. But let's go to Daniel chapter 3, and I wanna make some observations about that story. In Daniel 3, beginning in verse 1, we read King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue. 90 feet high and nine feet wide. So you can see how tall this is, 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces, to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces uh, assembled for the dedication of the statue the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue of Nebuchadnezzar that he had set up, a herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire." And so this leader in Daniel's day, I had mentioned uh, today and I think last week as well, I think both weeks, how Nebuchadnezzar was the first world ruler. And he is also an illustration of the final ruler. In fact, when you get later on in the book of Revelation, we're gonna read about Babylon. And so you realize that this antichrist is kind of like a revived Nebuchadnezzar but he set up this idol, and he demanded, if you remember the story, he demanded everybody bow down and worship this idol. But if you know the story, you know the three young men refused to bow down. They were using their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar found out that they would not bow down before the idol, and he was furious with them. And They were rulers in his kingdom, and so he wanted to give them a second chance. He said, Listen, I'll give you another chance to bow down and worship this idol, and they refused. And Nebuchadnezzar was so angry with them that he had them thrown into this furnace. In fact, it says that they heated up the furnace seven times as hot. And if you know the story, this furnace was so hot that when the soldiers, big soldiers, threw in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into this furnace, they died from the heat of it, it was so hot. But while the three of them were in the furnace, suddenly a fourth person appeared. Nebuchadnezzar was called, and Nebuchadnezzar asked the question, weren't there three people thrown in the furnace? Yet I see four, and one of them is like a son of the gods. Well, we find a story, a wonderful story of how I believe Jesus himself protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so Nebuchadnezzar called them to come out and they were completely unharmed and nothing had happened to them. The fourth person who was seen in the fire just had disappeared. But again, I think that was Jesus. Now I'm convinced that this story is gonna be incredibly relevant in the last days because this is exactly what's gonna happen, I think, to the nation of Israel. This is demonstrating that in the midst of the fire, when the whole world is gonna be commanded to bow down before this this image of the Antichrist, that Jesus Christ is gonna be with the people of Israel and he's gonna protect them and he's gonna take care of them. I also think, though, this illustrates the hope that we as Christians have. We know, of course, from some of the verses here in Revelation that Many of us will lose our lives and many will be martyred, but the assurance we have, and again based on this story, is that Jesus Christ says, I'll be with you. And He's the one that's going to help us and empower us. Now, let's wrap this up this evening by talking about the number 666. Let's read about it again in Revelation 13 16. It says that He requires everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, which is the beast's name or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. The one who understands must calculate the number of the beast because it's the number of man. His number is 666. Now, when the Antichrist realizes that he can't completely destroy all the Christians and all the Jewish people that they've been protected by God. He comes up with this way to control everybody. He sets up a system where you can't buy anything or you can't sell anything unless you got a mark. Identifying yourself with the Antichrist. Now, the number six in biblical numerology is always associated with mankind or people. It's based on the fact that God created Adam and Eve on the sixth day. The number seven, of course, is the divine number where God rested on the seventh day. But the, sixth, the number six represents humanity. And so this person, their name or the symbol of their name is 666. And so once again, I think we come back to this unholy trinity, unholy trinity somehow related to the divinity of humanity, making this man to be God. Of course, you realize this was the the lie all the way back in the Garden of Eden where where Satan said to Adam and Eve, you know, if you eat this, you'll become like God and, and how people want to become gods. We don't want to worship another god. We want to be gods ourselves. And now when we get to this, toward the end of this story of this, a prophetic story. We have a situation where finally Satan is getting his wish, and the Antichrist is being worshipped. And somehow, this this number that we're going to get on our hand or forehead, or people are going to get, uh, is is going to represent the Antichrist in this unholy Trinity. Now, the word that's used for this mark could refer to something as simple as a tattoo but it could also be something like a microchip. And of course, we're all aware of the fact that microchips are available already, that microchips are being inserted under the skin, that it would be possible to have a microchip put in the hand under the skin of the hand or the forehead, that that's possible. Otherwise, it's possible that we're talking about some kind of a tattoo. It's possible that it would be three numbers, six digits each, and so it'd be 18 digits to identify every person on the planet, maybe that's what it is, we don't know. One thing I'd like for us to realize, though, that if you get this mark, as we're gonna see in a minute, it's really game over for you, because we're gonna read in a moment that anyone who gets the mark of the beast will go to hell. That they'll, it'll be impossible to save that person. Now, something we need to understand about this, though, I think some people are very concerned about just chips being ins- inserted in the hand or whatever, and they're, they're afraid that maybe they'll ha- have to go through some medical procedure and maybe something will be put in their hand or forehead that they didn't intend, and that it'd be the mark of the beast and then they're in trouble. Well, I believe that this particular mark of the beast is something that is going to um, have to identify with the Antichrist. In other words, there's there's technology out there right now, for example, for someone with Alzheimer's to maybe get a a microchip inserted so if the person wandered off, you could find them. Well, that's not the mark of the beast, if someone got that. Uh, Whoever gets this mark of the beast, it will be somebody who understands that in getting the mark, you are saying, I identify with the Antichrist. This is going to be the sign of allegiance to the antichrist. And that's gonna be the direct significance of it. And so I say that so that you don't have to be concerned that maybe somehow, accidentally, you'll end up getting this mark of the beast. And again, the technology is there. Even now, you can have your pets inserted with a microchip and things like that. And I could see why some might wanna use some kind of a chip in terms of buying and selling because if it, for example, is in your hand, no one could then Can steal your credit cards. No one could steal your cash, you know? Identity theft would be an issue of the past. And so likely this will even be sold as something like that. And so there'd be a lot of ways in which this technology could be used that wouldn't be evil necessarily. But at a certain point, it's gonna directly relate to the Antichrist. People are going to be told you will not be able to buy or sell unless you get this mark and getting the mark is a sign of your allegiance. Now, again, I don't know that we know what the 666 is about. Is it just the literal numbers? Many people feel what this is is what's called a gematria. Uh, Gematria is something that identifies letters with numbers in the Bible. And so in the Old Testament even, or I'm sorry, uh, in biblical times, we have uh, this practice was in place where particular letters of the Hebrew alphabet represented certain numbers. And when you use a gematria to this number 666, many have identified that you end up with the name Nero Caesar. Let me show you the illustration of this where the various Hebrew letters represent certain numeric values. And when you put it together, the name Nero Caesar, you end up with 666. Now people have done this with other people's names. I understand Hitler can be somehow worked out to 666. Again, what's significant about this is somehow this mark of the beast will be associated with the Antichrist directly. And that's the thing that's very significant about this. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this is a mark you don't want to get because we read in verse 9... Of Revelation 13, and a third angel followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger." He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the lamb and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in his image or anyone who receives the mark of his name. Again, I mentioned the point that it's, the the key issue here is that somehow the mark identifies yourself directly with this antichrist. But once somebody gets this mark, they cannot be saved. And so it's a very, very scary thing that's gonna happen. I think the whole world is gonna be faced with a choice, a decision at this point. Am I gonna choose the kingdom of Christ? Or am I going to choose the kingdom of the antichrist? And they will form an allegiance to that particular group. Now, I hate to end this evening on bad news, uh, I, and, and, but I have to. Next week, though, begins some good news. In the next chapter, chapter 14 and chapter 15, I think as well, will provide some encouraging news, uh, something that we have to look forward to. Let's uh, close in prayer. Father, we're grateful that we know you. We're grateful for your son, Jesus, who died in our place and for our sin so that through faith in him we can have eternal life and we know whose kingdom we're a part of. That when we put our trust in Jesus, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your son. And we love being part of his kingdom. We do look to you though in the days ahead and even in our country now, as things are kind of tough and difficult, things that are happening, Lord, we just, we recognize we need your grace and we're gonna need your presence with us, Lord as we navigate whatever you have for us in the days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.